And welcome to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where Dan Delzella, myself, Son Edom, talk about the things that go on in this world through a biblical perspective. And Dan, one of the things that I find kind of interesting, but kind of concerning, and I thought something we could talk about is, you know, when we approach God, the Bible talks about us taking our cares and our burdens and casting them, casting them upon the Lord. And we're taught when we, when we pray that God's going to answer us with either a yes, a no, or maybe. And then we're taught to pray like the Lord's prayer. And, you know, some people might be taught to pray, you know, the acts, you know, the, the affirmation, the confession, the thanksgiving, the supplications, you know. And so we kind of go through these rote ideas of prayer. And then it's like we don't really want to burden God with our problems, even though we, we want to take our problems to him and pray about them. But God already knows our issues. He already knows our problems. He already knows what's up. And so we don't have to pretend when we're in his presence. We don't have to pretend when we come to him with our cares, our concerns, whatever it might be. I think that might be something that we could talk about is not having to pretend regardless of whatever it is when we're with God. Yeah, I tell you, Son, I think this is such a wonderful topic because everyone, I think, would love to have um, a close personal relationship with God, at least everyone who, um, you know, senses that, that spiritual uh, void in their life without God. I mean, sure, you've got some hardcore atheists and others who claim that they don't want that, and that's fine. I mean, everybody can make their own choice. But, you know, most people, I think, are, you know, would love to have what you're just describing there. And, and it's great how in Scripture, uh, especially in the Psalms, you know, we're told to pour out our heart to God. We're told that David, who, of course, wrote many of the Psalms, was a man after God's own heart. That word heart comes up um, a lot in reference to our relationship with the Lord. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then what do we see in the New Testament um, with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Um, they didn't do that. Um, they didn't accept Christ. Jesus said, these people uh, worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So they were pious, they were self-righteous, they were religious, like Saul of Tarsus was before he was converted on the Damascus Road. But, but once we've been brought into God's family through faith in Christ, which is just such an enormous privilege, we now have access to our Heavenly Father through Jesus, the Mediator, the one who went between us and, and the Father, who went between our sin and God's perfection, and he laid down his life so that we could be forgiven of our sins, our sins could be washed away by his blood. And so now it's like, okay, now what do I do? Now I'm in the family. Well, um, prayer for the Christian is to be as just, uh, I would say, natural or really supernatural uh, as breathing is to the body. And and it's easy when we pray to turn it into a formal exercise or um, to not really get down to the gut level feelings that we're having. I mean, God already knows them. Um, I, I think sometimes, Son, it's even how a person is raised. Because, I mean, I've noticed over the years, you know, it seems to me like People who are raised in homes where they don't really share feelings, they don't really get down to things maybe too uh, personal, um, it maybe it's harder for a person who's had that experience to relate to God um, with, with, with more of the, the, the feelings that they're having. But, but whatever a person's background, I think it's just great that God invites us to pour out our heart to Him. I think that's such an important part of prayer. Um, as we're confessing our sins, God already knows what they are, uh, but we need to confess our sins to him, our, our weaknesses, our failings. Um, we, we can share every single anxiety with him. I think of something that Oswald Chambers writes in the most popular devotional of all time, my utmost for his highest. And he basically makes this uh, comment in one of his devotionals. He says, anything that disturbs my peace in Christ must be brought to Jesus at once. Now, I'll hear people from time to time say, well, you know, I don't want to bother God with, you know, that, that's kind of a small thing. God's got bigger things to deal with. And, and we're, I think, 
we naturally misunderstand prayer is when we think, well, we can only really go talk to God about the huge things, you know, the, the sickness or, um, you know, the issues on the job or in the family. But, but you know, little things that maybe are, are bothering us. Um, I, why would I ever talk to God about that? Well, the reason is because he wants us to bring anything to him that's upsetting our peace or that's starting to steer us away from his will for us. And the more that we will do that, um, the more that we will do kind of what uh, Brother Andrew referred to as practicing the presence of God. You know, just, just walking with God all day long and bringing those things to him that, that you know, pop up into our life, uh, maybe through a conversation or maybe just through our own thoughts or something that we're, we're going through. And, and so I think this is a great topic, son, to have us dive into because uh, prayer, if it's not personal, if it's not authentic, if it's not honest, you know, if we're not being honest to God, I mean, who are we going to be honest to? You know, I mean, he knows it all anyway. So we might as well be honest to God. Um, we might as well get it off of our heart. And it's amazing how much better we feel when we have that wonderful friend that we have in Jesus, when we talk to him about it. It's just amazing um, the difference that it makes. You know, Dan, one of the, I guess, hardest things to be real with, with God, is when we get mad at him. It's it's something that getting mad at God is something I've never really fully kind of understood. I mean, I understand that things go bad in life and, you know, God's in control. And so we're going to get mad because there might be a sickness. There might be a death. There might be something going on. And so we get mad at God. But, you know, me personally getting mad at God was always kind of um, something of interest because I guess it's just the human nature in us. But that's the one area that we we pretend with God a lot, you know, letting God know. You know, if you're mad at him, you know, God, I'm mad at you. Um, you know, he, he knows that already. He can handle that anger. Uh, or, you know, God, I don't understand why this is happening. And to me, I think that's the bigger, more relevant thing is, God, why does this happen? You know, I've never really been one to be mad at God and be like, God, shaking my fist. Why did you let this happen? It's always been more of, a, as a, of a, an acquisitive thing. You know, God, why did my friend die when he was 17? God, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Um, but even those concerns, whether you're, you're mad at him for some reason or, or whether you have uh, concerns about why is this happening, you know, whatever it might be, we don't get real with God on those issues because it's like we're afraid to offend him or we're afraid that we're like sinning against him. But those are the times that we really need to draw near to him yes. and approach him because those are the times that it's kind of like a, a parent, you know, and a kid. If a kid, you know, is mad at their parent for whatever the case may be, um, you know, the kid needs to have understanding as to why that the parent made that decision or whatever, you know, happened. The, the kid needs to understand why and draw near to the parent for understanding, just like we need to draw near to God for understanding those situations of why these things have happened. Yeah, and I think it's so natural, as you say, Son, in, in those situations for a person um, to hold in their, their anger at God is interesting. Last night I was talking to someone after our Bible study, and uh, he was telling me uh, about, you know, people he's known over the years who've gone through extremely difficult challenges and how he's known some people who um, have, have ended up just kind of digging in their heels and holding it against God and, and really just um, distancing themselves from God, maybe even just walking away completely. And then other people who have used that challenge, that difficulty, that, that weakness um, to draw them closer to God for strength and for help. And, and it's like that saying, you know, when you go through something really tough, uh, it's very likely that you're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. And the people who get better are those who, by God's grace, call upon the Lord, um, even if that means, you know, telling him that you're angry at him. I mean, you know, think about it. He already knows what you're feeling. Um, now, we don't have we don't have the insight that God has in terms of why He's allowed us to go through that hardship. All we have uh, is the the brokenness, uh, the pain, the uh, the anger, um, the consequences of what just happened, and and so it's natural to react. And, and to blame God. And it's interesting because the world does this all the time. I mean, 
you know, anytime there's a major calamity, anytime there's a major disaster, you know, you'll have people who never talk about God saying things like, well, where was God? You know, where was God? And, and so, in fact, I think, Son, you know, you'll hear, you'll hear people say that the biggest, um, the biggest question that unbelievers have about God, and maybe this would apply to believers too, but, but unbelievers have, and that is, um, why does God allow so many painful things to happen to people? And, and so the issue of suffering, it, it is a very difficult, difficult thing, especially when it's personal, um, especially when it involves yourself or a loved one. And, you know, the, the one thing we want to try to always remember is that God did not leave us alone in our suffering. Uh, he entered this world. Um, he took on human flesh. Jesus endured the agony, the suffering of the cross uh, in, in order to redeem us and, and give us forgiveness and eternal life in heaven in a place where there will be no suffering, not, not one second, not one ounce, nothing. Um, and, and so while that doesn't answer all the questions that we have about suffering, it, it, it certainly shows us that God has not left us alone. And, and, and we just simply, at some point, you know, just need to say that we don't understand why we have, uh, you know, why we're going through uh, the, whatever we're going through. But God, God is with us. God will help us. And, and that's the, the toughest thing. I mean, even Job, I mean, what an example in the Old Testament of, I mean, here it said Job was a righteous man. Now, I'm glad we have that example in the Bible, Son, because the temptation that we have as human beings is when we go through suffering to right away just think, oh, wow, you know, what have I done to make God mad? But what we see is it's not that simple. Um, we don't have to look at it that way. Um, God allows the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And, and yet, son, what we see is that those who call upon the Lord in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their anger at God, those who call upon the Lord um, find that you can come through that you can have your anger toward God replaced with that, that peace and that love. Now, not that it's going to happen overnight. I mean, it could, but it may not. But if you'll hang in there and, and trust Jesus to be your best friend, even through that very painful situation, you will come out at a much deeper level of faith than you've ever known and a much deeper appreciation of God. And again, it doesn't mean we're going to understand everything. I mean, People go to their grave, and this includes believers, without understanding why certain things happen, because some things are just way beyond our understanding. Why would God allow that to happen? Well, he allowed Adam and Eve, with their free will, to choose sin in the Garden of Eden. Uh, he could have made robots. He could have made puppets, but he didn't. How do, you, how do you love God if you're a robot? I mean, well, God didn't seem to be interested in programming people to love him. He seemed interested in having man love him with his free will. But once God set that in motion, of course, God knew all of this ahead of time, but once God set that in motion, it, it, it allows the possibility that man is going to go off the rails the way that Adam and Eve did. The Bible says sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And so if death came inside, everything less than death, and we could list, you know, a thousand things that are extremely painful that people go through, many more than that even, um, if death came in, well, then certainly there's a whole lot of other things that came in through sin because there was free will. But I'm, I'm just thankful that God is love. The Bible tells us that, that heaven is real, that God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, and that Jesus will be the best friend a person has ever had. If they will choose to hand over their questions, their anger, their frustration with God. Talk to God about it. Um, but if you'll approach him, honestly, if you will give him the respect he is due, because he is your creator, if you will give him that respect, even though you don't understand it, God can handle your anger, even at him. But, but it will be important that you are honest about it and, and, that, you, um, and that you bring that to him uh, from your heart in a way that um, then allows 
for healing to begin to happen and for um, God's grace to begin to replace that, that anger and frustration and so forth. So, uh, yeah, this is such a, uh, you know, such an important uh, thing, son, because everybody goes through challenges and, and painful things. You know, Dan, you've said a lot of things there that I want to eventually kind of touch on, but I want to start off with this one. There is when people think that they're going through troubles in life, they think that they're alone and that God has left them. But there's a a poem that I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's called Footprints in the Sand. It goes like like this. Uh You know, one night I had a dream. I was walking along the beach with my Lord across the dark sky flash scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the, st- in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. When the last scene of my life shot before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. There was only one set of footprints. I realized that this was at the lowest and saddest times of my life. This always bothered me, and I questioned the Lord about my dilemma. Lord, when you told me, or you told me when I decided to follow you, you would walk and talk with me all the way. But I'm aware that during the most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I just don't understand why, when I need you most, you leave me. Jesus whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever. During your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I think that's something that we often kind of misrepresent, you know, when we, when we see things, we see the evidence there. We don't realize that Jesus is carrying us through those troubled times, that he's not leaving us. He's not forsaking us. He talks about that in the Bible, you know, says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so we have to remember that if we take like, you know, Peter walking on water, as long as we're focused on Jesus, the storms are still going to be brewing and the storms are still going to be in our lives. But as long as we're focused on him, no matter what the outcome is, we're going to be okay. Once we start taking our focus off of him, we're going to start to sink in those stormy waters and life is going to then consume us. And so we have to remember that no matter what happens, um, no matter how much it hurts us or no matter how much pain we go through, no matter what it is, and even though at the moment it might not be comforting to us to just, you know, it's easier to say, oh, God doesn't give you more than you can't handle and all this, you know, religious stuff. But to know that, you know, ultimately God's in control, I think is important us, uh, important reminder of us. Um, the second thing you mentioned a little bit ago was what a friend we have in Jesus. And when you mentioned that, the first thing that came to mind was the the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. And yeah. there's, you know, there's, there's a a lyric in there that says, you know, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, we keep things ourselves because I think as humans, we've been conditioned to take care of things ourselves. You know, we got to take care of stuff ourselves. We got to be in control of our own lives. We determine our own destination. Um, you know, the, the, our lives are in our own hands. And yet we don't realize that God is in control of everything and we can cast our burdens upon him. We can be real with him. And we often do forfeit peace. We often do forfeit, you know, relieving that, that burden, that pain. And we don't throw it or cast it on Jesus because we want to take it ourselves. And we find it a privilege. You know, we can find it a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. If we would just do that, I think our lives may not seem easier, but I think we have that peace that passes all understanding when we do. Absolutely, son. And that's exactly what Paul writes about in Philippians, um, that when we bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord with thanksgiving, that the peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Exactly what you're saying. Um, there is a kind of a transaction that takes place, almost like when, a person is saved, you bring God your sin, he gives you forgiveness and salvation. Um, when a Christian is stressed out and anxious, you bring God your anxiety, which is easier said than done, but you bring it to him, and, and he then um, works to, to give you peace. Now, again, it's not always just instant. Um, it, it's not always uh, you know something that just happens immediately. Sometimes there's a process. Um, it, it reminds me of 
the woman in our church on our worship team who was healed of leukemia about eight or nine years ago, miraculously healed. Um, it looked like she was not going to live. Um, her husband, who's also on our worship team, um, and one of our elders, um, he and their, uh, and their uh, four children um, certainly looked like they were not going to have their wife and mother with them much longer. But that's when um, the Lord did a miracle uh, for Katie, and he came to her bedside, and she describes how he came to her there in this, like, white gown, kind of this flowing gown, and, and he invited her to reach out and touch him. And, and she said, Lord, I can't, I can't reach you. And so he came a little bit closer. And then she touched his gown. And, and just like in the Bible where people would do that and they would be healed. And the, the one time where the Lord said, I know that power went out for me. Who touched me? You know, well, Katie had this, this with her. And, and, and here's how the miracle worked in her life there uh, with that situation, son. And that is she was not instantly completely healed of leukemia, but a process then began where over a, a little bit of time, she was healed. Um, and, and, and so I used that example. And that was a really a, just a supernatural healing. Um, and, and this is not somebody, uh, you know, this is not a family that is prone to like, you know, always be talking about, well, you know, the, the Lord spoke to me and said this, or I had this vision. And I'm not saying those things don't happen. I believe they do. But, but when they happen to someone who maybe that's the only time something like that's happened, you, you tend to take a little more notice because um, sometimes when you're hearing somebody talk about these things all the time, like, well, the Lord told me this, you know, um, I don't know. You, you, you take some of that more with a grain of salt, but not in this case. So her healing was, uh, was gradual, but it was supernatural. The Lord uh, just, you know, brought her this healing. Um, and they are such strong Christians. Um, but, but going back now to the issue of anxiety, uh, the same can be true with your anxiety. Uh, you, you can call out to the Lord when you're going through tremendous pressure and stress, and it may or may not begin to lift right away, but it might take a little while as you keep going back to the Lord over and over again. And millions of Christians have found this to be true. Um, the one who comes to mind is the famous Christian Corey Tenboom, who was a, uh, in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. And, you know, her testimony has brought uh, strength to, to really millions of Christians. But she has this great saying, Son, that uh, I always remember um, when going through a tough time, Corey Tenboom said, look without and be distressed. That is, look at the things around you. Look without and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. If you just focus on, you know, all your emotions and anxiety. Look without and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. And that's from a woman who endured, you know, a Nazi concentration camp. Um, you know, this, this stuff is real. Um, God's power is real. Jesus really does bring peace when we call upon him. He is the creator of the universe. He is the savior of the world. Man's stress and anxiety is very real. Everyone listening to this podcast uh, knows for a fact that stress and anxiety are real because every human being has it. But not every human being chooses to go to the Lord with it and then to develop a personal, ongoing, daily, even hourly relationship with the Lord whereby you are bringing these things to him that are weighing your heart down. And that's the test for the Christian. The test for the Christian is now that I'm saved, now that heaven is my home, now that God is calling me to, to love people and forgive people and not judge people, um, in addition to those loving things that God wants me to do and will do through me, uh, what am I going to do with my anxiety? What am I going to do with my pressure? Um, am I going to have an authentic uh prayer life that, that goes to God throughout the day, especially when, you know, um, I'm, I'm just coming under attack of, of my emotions and my situation. Um, am, am I going to do that? Or am I going to just fall back on my own natural resources, my natural way of looking at things, which we all do. 
And, and, and yet that's the challenge. And so the Bible says, pray without ceasing, pray without ceasing. Um, and, and this is something that the Christian has the privilege to do, uh, to go to the Lord 24-7. And from that standpoint, son, you know, nor in the Bible does God ever say, oh, I want you to carry that burden. I want you. I mean, the Bible does say carry one another's burden. So in that sense, we are to, to help people, obviously, when they're going through a tough time and to listen and encourage them and pray with them. But um, Jesus will carry our burdens. The question is, will we bring them to him when they're weighing us down? That's the challenge that we have uh, day by day. You know, you mentioned Corey Ten Boom, even in the movie The Hiding Place. Uh, it was a movie about Corey Ten Boom and being captured and arrested, basically, and being sent off to a concentration camp because she was helping the Jews, hiding the Jews. There's a scene, and, yes. and, and the movie is really evident about her faith, but there is a scene in the movie where she dreams of, I think, murdering or killing, I think with a pickaxe, one of her guards, you know? Mm. And so even, and I, and I bring that up because even... When we look at her and we look at the Christian example, even her human side, her fleshly side, mm -hmm. you know, had these desires. So the point is, is that we don't have to, you know, those are the type of things that we need to take to the Lord. It's like, Lord, I want to pickaxe this dude because he is my tormentor right. or this thing is tormenting me and I want to act in a fleshly way toward these people. You need to help me. And that, and then that, that was the whole point of the scene, you know, repentance of that. And then showing that, you know, God helped me love my captors. And so I think that was a, an important part of that movie. And, and probably one of the most important parts of that movie is showing forgiveness. Because, again, it goes back to the fact, what has, the peop what has anybody done to us that the Jewish people didn't do to Jesus? What has anybody done to us worse than Jesus taking our, our, our sins and being nailed to the cross and dying and taking that punishment for us. Nothing. Nobody can, can do anything to us worse than what they did to Jesus. And so Jesus loved us so much, and God loved us so much, they gave us his only son. Jesus died on the cross for us. And even when Jesus was on the cross, you know, he's like, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Um, I don't want to get too deep into that. But even he was like, God, what's up? And it's like, we need to be able to have that relationship so that we go to Jesus, we go to God in those moments. It's not like Billy Graham said in an article you wrote you know, about this, the Christian life isn't a constant high. I have moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. And it's so easy for us to go to God in the good times. Hey, thank you for X, Y, Z. We appreciate it. This is great. You know, God's so good. But then when we're really down in the dumps and things are, are going really bad, it's like, God, you know, help me. Or, you know, I've done a lot of bad things, so God, forgive me. It's not the constant high. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have these things. You know, God said, you know, nobody's perfect. And the Bible talks about there's none perfect. There is, uh, you know, none righteous, not even one. And so we're going to realize that in our daily life, we're going to have these issues, whether it be sin, whether it be struggles, um, you know, Contrary to what, you know, TV pastors preach, life isn't all about roses. It's not a name and claim it, market and park it theology. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have things that go wrong. But we need to be able to be real with God because, A, he already knows it, and, B, we need to have that relationship because, you know, you're right, we're only at the beginning of an eternal relationship with the Lord. If we can't get with him now and be real with him now, it's not like we're going to all of a sudden be real with him in heaven, if that makes sense. You know, it's like the relationship doesn't change from the perspective of worshiping a holy God. You know, we have now we're Christians here on earth, but this commitment that we've made to, you know, to follow Christ, this is a, an eternal commitment. This is something that's only going to get better. And it's only going to continue for all eternity. So now we're just at the beginning of this, but now's the time because this is the time that we're going to struggle the most in our relationship with God is to go to him now in that real manner. And for a lot of people, if you don't know what that realness is or how to do it, you know, we're often taught in Sunday school, you know, how to pray, you know, but sometimes there's new believers out there or people that have had it really rough. Maybe you've been in a gang, maybe you've, you know, uh, had a rough life and you've been on the streets and, and maybe you don't have the formality. You know, we've talked in, in past, um, podcasts about you know religious people that had the education and yet they still had a 
coming to Jesus moment, understanding that, you know, what they were, what they had learned and what they had studied, like Martin Luther and Saul of Tarsus, wasn't the right way. It was God's righteousness that they needed. And so you just have to go to God as you are. And then the formalities and, and that reverence and stuff will come. But you can't be afraid to, at that moment, however raw you are, approach Jesus and take it to God because no matter how it, how you are in that moment, God is still there with his arms wide open, ready to receive us. Oh, I think that's so well said, son. And, you know, you quoted Billy Graham. And if Billy Graham uh, would say, as he did, that he has he had his moments where, you know, he just had to call out to God and he was going through a tough time. I mean, this is, you know, the world's most famous evangelist, at least, you know, throughout his lifetime for sure. And, and yet he had those moments like the apostle Paul. I mean, sometimes the men and women God uses the most uh, in terms of the most visible uh, ways, let's say, um, sometimes they uh, are going through challenges that um, you would have never dreamed of. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, there, 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 there's been more than one very well-known, uh, you know, preacher throughout history. And maybe Spurgeon, for example, Charles Spurgeon might have been one of these who just had fits of depression. Um, and, and so how much of that was like physical? How much was a spiritual attack from the devil? But either way, um, he, was, he, he went through extreme uh, challenges. Um, and yet look at how the Lord used him, how many people were converted, you know, under his ministry and so forth. And, and so we go through these tough times. And one verse that came to mind when you were sharing that song was the, the scripture passage that says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we have to keep our eyes on the prize. We have to keep our eyes on heaven as our home. We have to keep our eyes on the fact that God's bringing us to a, a, a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And that this place will not have an ounce of anxiety. Uh, there will be no uh, unfulfilled desires. Everything there as we worship our Lord, uh, as we praise his name, as we serve him in that place, um, it's going to blow our minds. But right now, we're called to hang on. Almost like when the disciples were in the boat and the storms were uh, bashing up, uh, you know, the waves were bashing up against the side of the boat, coming into the boat. And, and, and yet Jesus was with them. And, and as we know, he spoke to the, the wind and the waves. He calmed the storm. But while the, while the storm was battering the boat, that is a picture of what um, really every human being, every Christian goes through at different times in life. And it's not that God doesn't love us. It's that we live in a broken world. Um, if we didn't live in a broken world, there would have been no reason, no need for the Son of God to come hear and suffer the agonizing death that he suffered on the cross. But because uh, we were separated from God and we needed reconciliation, uh, we, we needed uh, to be brought back to our, our creator, uh, Jesus came and endured what he did. So if a person looks at that, um, it doesn't mean that they're not going to have tremendous pain in, 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 their, in, their, in their suffering, in their loss. Um, it doesn't mean there won't be tears. It doesn't mean there won't be uh, a lot of heaviness and even a lot of questions. But Jesus is the answer uh, to those questions. Um, it may not satisfy everything we're asking, but one day we'll, we'll understand better. You know, the Bible says, now we know in part, then we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. Um, now, just as a little side note, I, I, I think um, there have been some well-meaning Christians over the years who, as they have perhaps sought to provide a little bit of, of comfort to someone who's going through a tough time, have, have made the mistake of saying to someone, well, you know, God must have a reason for why you're going through what you're going through. Um, I think sometimes that can come across as uh, really as, as uncaring as um, out of touch. I mean, yes, that's true. Yes, that is true. Um, that, that God may have a, a reason for that, but I don't know that it's our place uh, to tell someone that who's suffering. And, and, and when we're suffering, we don't necessarily want to hear that from someone. But if someone will come and put their arm around us and pray for us and, and just remind us that God loves us, um, we don't have to have an answer for things that are unanswerable. 
We don't have to try to provide an answer, and we certainly don't need to give a little flippant response like, well, you know, God must have a plan in that. I mean, let's say a person's just lost a child. Imagine telling someone who's just lost a child, well, God must have a plan in that. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't some situations where maybe that might be appropriate. I mean, let's say the child was, you know, you know, really suffering terribly from some, uh, from some physical illness or something. Uh, and at that point, you're just thankful that, um, that your child can go and be with the Lord. But, but there are other situations like accidents and things like this that happen. Um, I, I don't think that some of those little flippant answers are helpful, um, nor do I think uh, we should be quick to try to give an answer. Uh, but what people need and what, what anyone would need in that situation is just someone to just be with them and not to say anything, just to pray for them, but not to try to answer these difficult questions. Because when they're that personal and they're that emotional and then somebody just says, well, you know, God, God had a plan in that. Um, I mean, maybe if it's a super close friend that you really trust or a family member and you know um, you know the depth of their love for you, and then maybe that would give them the um, that would give them the right in a way to say something like that. But even then, I think we have to be careful um, because when you're going through that deep pain, um, and your natural tendency is to blame God for it. Um, what 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 you need is not words; you need a touch of God, kind of like what Katie had there in, in her in her hospital bed when she had a touch from Jesus on her leukemia to heal her, um, you don't need a human answer because there is none to, to much of this suffering. Um, you know, um, the human answer will come in your presence um, in, in the way that you um, follow up with people, not just one time after they've had a, you know, a tragedy, but, but hopefully many, many times over the months and years ahead, just to be there for them and not to try to answer the unanswerable questions. Um, I don't think that's our job. Um, that's above our pay grade. Only God would be in a position to tell someone why they're going through the tragedy they're going through. But what we can do is pray for them, try to comfort them, you know, try to just remind them of, 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 of God's love for them um, in, in a way that will hopefully bring comfort and, and won't, um, won't just come across as, you know, in our own heart, if we have a deep concern and compassion for them, let that guide your, your level of, of uh, care and, and be slow to speak and quick to listen, especially when someone has gone through a tragedy. When you go back to, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus you know, talks at, at the end, you know, the, the last verse, which a lot of times with these hymns, there's a lot of great um, lyrics in them, but a lot, of, a lot of times we don't get familiar with them because they're buried deep in the song, and oftentimes we might get one or two verses, and then we're pretty much done with the song. But it says um, at the end of, you know, what a friend we have in Jesus, blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. And then it goes on, soon in glory bright, unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. So there will become a time when prayer will no longer be needed. There will be a time when all our questions will be answered. You know, why did this happen? Why did that happen? You know, God, I didn't understand this. You know, why, what happens to a, an infant when it dies? Does it go to heaven? You know, all these questions that we, we have here on earth are going to be answered, and we're going to know these things. And it's going to be a time where we're going to have everything, all of our concerns and cares taken care of. But we have the promise until then, like it says in the song, Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. And all we have to do is bring it to Jesus in prayer. Now, we might not always get the answer we're looking for. I mean, I think of Nabil Koresh. He was a Muslim that uh, became a Christian and was um, became pretty prominent, and he ended up dying from an illness. And a who's who of preachers and pastors, you know, prayed over him for healing, but God had another reason to bring him home, and we don't know why. 
you know, in, in, in immediately we're like, this guy's doing so much great, uh, you know, prophesying and, and preaching to the Muslim world, you know, and an example for Muslims to become a Christian, but he was, right. he was estranged from his folks, from his family, his family had wanted nothing to do with them because he wasn't a Muslim anymore. He's a Christian. Well, since his death, you know, there's rumblings now that his family might be coming to Jesus. Um, you know, and it's like his dad might be questioning things. And there's even stories where his dad maybe became a Christian. Uh, but anyways, we don't know what God's plan is, you know, and without taking the life of Nabil Koresh, even though we here in our earthly flesh think that was, you know, how can that happen? Well, maybe the reason, maybe the reason was so his family believes. I don't know. Um, but all we have to do is know that Jesus has promised, God has promised us these things, and we just need to be faithful in those promises and then bring those concerns to him in prayer. Lord, whatever the reason was uh, that right. yeah, you did this, you know, we trust you. We don't understand it. We trust you in this, um, you know, and that's the hardest thing to do. But, but like you mentioned, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to pass on these, you know, flippant responses to people, you know, Oh God, you know, won't give you more than you can, can handle. But it's like, you know what? I don't know why. I don't have the answers to your right. questions, but you know what? I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you that God just gives you that peace that passes all the understanding that he gives you the comfort and that he gives you the ability to then, you know, be able to handle the, the circumstances in life and then, you know, rely on him. And I think those are, that's the responsible way to, you know, handle those type of situations because we really don't know God's reasons for doing something are going to be far greater then we can ever imagine why he would do something like that. I mean, we have no idea. Right. Um, you know, you've mentioned before um, the story of Horatio Spafford. Um, he was the guy that wrote, it is well with my soul, you know, and here's a guy who I guess lost a, a business in the great, you know, fire of Chicago. And then, so we had that where he lost everything, I think pretty much in the, in the fire of Chicago. And then he's going to go on a vacation so he's, but he can't make it originally on the travel date. So he sends his wife and his four daughters and they, you know, take an ocean liner across and the boat, uh, the ship ends up crashing and sinking. The four daughters die. The wife survives, sends a note back saying survived alone. Well, then as you know, Horatio is crossing the ocean to go meet up with his wife in England. Um, the captain basically tells him this is the area. They come across the area where, you know, the, the ship went down and the four daughters were lost and he pens it as well with my soul. And it's a song about, you know, it starts off when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul and how much peace. I mean, talk about the peace that passes all understanding how much peace this guy must have had knowing that he's at the very spot that four of his daughters, you know, died and he's able to write this song realizing that it's Jesus, that's God, it's Christ that's in control and that's where he puts his faith. It wasn't writing a, a song about God, why did this happen to me? And, you know, woe is me. I'm sure he had those thoughts. But his ultimate work, the thing that he's remembered for is that whatever my lot Thou has taught me to say it is well with my soul, and so um, Amen. You know, Amen. And, and that's and you just think so. oh, go ahead. No, I was yeah. gonna say, and that's and that's the thing that we as in our in our fleshly, you know, fle- in our flesh, we don't understand that. That takes a a godly, right. um, you know, that that's that's God on you. That's depending fully on God and being real. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, we can't even hardly imagines on how many souls have been blessed over the centuries from that song that was born out of deep pain, born out of deep pain. I mean, you know, um, it's often been said that the, the people God uses in the greatest ways, the men and women he uses in the greatest ways are those who've gone through the deepest hurts and pains because in the depth of that, of that agony, um, they, they called on the Lord, they waited on the Lord, they relied on the Lord, and over a period of days and weeks and months and years, um, they experienced God's healing. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about um, that example there with the loss of his family there um, at sea and so forth, uh, when we say that God will give us peace in the midst of that, you know, sometimes I almost think, you know, some people almost imagine that it's like, well, if you have peace, then you're not really having grief. But both of those can be happening at the same time. 
you can be going through a lengthy grieving process um, and at the same time be experiencing the peace of God in the midst of it while you're in the depths of grief and, 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 and sorrow and, and tears. And yet deep down, there is this everlasting peace. Uh, you know, I think about, you know, that, that man who knew that his wife and, and, and daughters were now with the Lord in heaven. And as hard as that was to say goodbye to them, um, he, had that, he had that everlasting peace and assurance that, that God had, had brought them home to heaven far sooner than, uh, than, than anyone would have expected or, or really wanted, I'm sure. And, and, and yet, as the Bible says, God's ways are higher than our ways. So we don't understand them. You know, just take Jesus, for example. If someone were to ask us, son, now, you know, if you were to have written a script for Jesus and, and he was out there already now for a few years in his ministry, and he was healing all these people and working all these miracles. I mean, from a human perspective, you and I might say, well, hey, if it were me, I would have probably written that script for him to go another 5, 8, 10, 12 years. I mean, think of all the people that he could have healed. And yet at the age of 33, it was God's perfect plan, just like it was when he was born. You know, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Uh, so, so Jesus was, was born to Mary at the perfect time. And, and um, Jesus went to the cross at the perfect time and, and at the age of 33. So we don't know God's ways. We don't understand um, why uh, certain people, you know, leave this world uh, at such a young age. And like you said, with Nabil Koresh, what an example there. Son. Like you said, humanly speaking, we'd say, hey, look at all the Muslims that could have heard his testimony. But what we don't know, son, there may be more that hear about him now in his death. You know, there may be more that hear about him, just like there are so many Christian martyrs around the world who are being put to death for their faith. And, and yet um, that is, is really being used by God to spread the gospel to those then who are um, really brought to the attention of the gospel when they see that people are dying for the faith. And, and so this is something we just have to trust God on. And eternity is forever. You know, this world, whether you live 20 years or 80 years, it, it really is just uh, such a short amount of time in, in light of eternity. So we serve the God of history. We serve the God of the universe. We serve the God who created this, this world and who also, Jesus said about heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and this is what we look forward to. But as we do, we, we stay busy working for the Lord, um, talking to the Lord, trying to be honest every day with the Lord, keeping very short accounts. If, if, if we've given into some sin or said something we shouldn't have said or thought something we shouldn't have thought or did something, um, we need to confess that sin and we need to repent of it and we need to renounce it. You know, the Bible says whoever can, uh, can, uh, conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So this is a day of mercy. Today is a day of grace. I mean, the day will come when there'll be no more opportunities for God's grace. But if you're listening to this podcast right now, my friend, and you're wondering, um, is, there, is there enough grace for me? Um, let me tell you, there's more than enough grace for you, but you'll need to come to the cross. You'll need to come to that place where Jesus paid your price. You'll need to lay down your sin there, confess it to the Lord. And so whether, whether it's a sin issue today or whether it's an anxiety issue today, um, you can bring it to God and, and ask him to help. If it's sin, ask him to forgive you. If it's anxiety, ask him to comfort you. Call upon the Lord. The Bible says, come near to God and he will come near to you. So my question to you, my friend, is this. When was the last time you came near to God? You know, Dan, there's... Uh, um... Another song, Peter Fuller, who is the probably best known as the lead singer for the Newsboys, well, he went solo, and he put out a couple albums. And one of the songs he wrote is Glory to the King. And it talks about us awaking basically into heaven, okay, what it might be like. And there's some uh, lyrics in there that go, Awake as shadows lift from every doubt with nothing more to figure out and no more tears to dry. Awake to loved ones you've so dearly missed. The sting of death does not exist. There's no more wondering why. 
I think that's kind of, you know, what we've been talking about is that, you know, here on earth, we're just at the beginning, especially, well, we are at the beginning of eternity, but especially as Christians, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of our relationship with God. We're at the beginning of our understanding. At some point, Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be the rapture, the resurrection, and we're going to be in heaven for all eternity. And what that's going to be like, we'll find out when we get there. But there's not going to be those earthly concerns that we have here. It's going to be, you know, perfect, and we're going to be in perfect harmony, and we're going to be sitting there with all our voices, you know, singing glory to the king, the king of everything. And I think that's something that we we kind of have to – we don't live in two worlds. You know, you can't be a part of this world and a part of that world. But I think that we can live in this world with our eyes set on that world. And if we keep our eyes focused on what eternity is going to be like um, and not necessarily focused on the immediate now – if that makes sense, I think we're going to could be better off because we know that we're going to have the struggles of life here on earth. We know that God is there for us. We know Jesus died on the cross for us. He's that salvation is available for everybody. And for those that don't believe it's a different story, but for those of us who believe and we still go through those struggles and we still go through those pains, we still know that we can take it to God in prayer. We know that he's promised to be there for us. But if we keep one eye on the prize, so to speak, and realize that at some day, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's in an hour, whether it's in 50 years from now, someday we're going to be in heaven in all eternity, then we don't have to be so focused and wrapped up in the things of this world. And I don't know. And, and so, like, for me, I like music and I like to go to lyrics of songs, obviously, as you know, we've been talking about here. But I think it's just like a nice reminder of us that we've got the Bible and the Bible tells us you know, what it's going to be like. And if we can rely on that, then, you know, we're going to have that peace. We're going to have that understanding. And what we have to really remember is it's okay as we, you know, come full circle. It's okay to be real when we go to God. It's okay to be there as we are, you know, come as we are. We don't have to have any false pretense. We don't have to, you know, go through any rituals we don't have to i mean it's like you know you've been talking about in church you know the you had the the holy of holies and you had those rules about that you had the tabernacle you know when jesus died on the cross you know that veil was rent in two from top to bottom you know we have direct access now to god you know we can go straight to jesus with our prayers our supplications we don't need any intercessor anymore we can go straight to them because of the cross and we need to know that, like Billy Graham said, we've been talking about, it's not going to be a constant high. There's going to be lows. There's going to be deep valleys. There's going to be times where we're going to be, you know, so distraught perhaps that we can only utter a God help me. Um, you know, but yeah. that's okay. We yeah. need to remember that that's okay. What we need to remember is that no matter what we do, we go to him and we don't forsake him because then we're stuck with all that pain and all that burden when all we have to do is cast it upon him. Oh, I tell you, that is so true, Son. And as you were speaking, you know, about the importance of Christians keeping their eye on heaven, um, a couple of thoughts came to me. One was how often the New Testament points the believers to heaven, saying things like, you know, uh, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, fix your, your thoughts, uh, fix your thoughts on things above, not on earthly things. You know, there is so much power when we do that. Now, you'll get some people that will argue and they'll say, well, you know, I, I know certain Christians, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Well, I've never met Christians like that, Son, because um, what I have met, uh, and, and this, this bears out in just the, the, the fruit of people's lives, what I and others have noticed is that the Christians who do the most good on earth are those whose thoughts are often on heaven. Um, It's amazing to me uh, how little preaching there is today on heaven and hell. I mean, sure, there are churches that are are faithfully doing that, but it seems like a lot of churches are more just interested in giving somebody maybe 10 steps how to have a better marriage or how to have better finances, and nothing wrong with that can all come out of the text of Scripture. But if you approach the Bible as a self-help book, If you approach preaching as kind of a book that can help people have good morals to have a better family and a better life, 
you're really not understanding the message of the Bible, and you're probably not going to be spending a lot of time on the message of salvation, on heaven and hell, on sin and grace, on repentance and faith. You're probably going to mostly just be telling people, uh, giving them some, some kind of like what Tony Robbins would do as a motivational speaker, um, and, and just kind of giving people kind of a pep talk. Uh, you know, uh, people um, years ago, of course, would know the name Norman Vincent Peale. And, and he was all about positive thinking. And then, you know, Robert Schuler kind of picked up on a lot of that. But Norman Vincent Peale was all about positive thinking. Now, positive thinking is great. But like one of these issues like what we're talking about today with, with anxiety and pain and tragedy, um, you have to take the Bible and preach the word. You can't just, be, you can't just put on these rose-colored glasses and, and, and pretend like there is no... There is no pain. And, 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 and what I find with those ideologies, son, is they don't get anywhere near the depth of Scripture, uh, such as what the Apostle Paul preached, such as what many faithful preachers preach. I was listening to a message this week um, by John MacArthur, which is just a, a very dynamic message on, I think he gave it in 2015, but it was on the letter to the church in Sardis there in Revelation 3, those seven letters to the churches. And I was listening to that because that was the topic of our Bible study last night. But anyway, um, MacArthur had such a, a wonderful biblical sermon as, as he does in his sermons. And many, many faithful preachers, you know, the same way. I think of Chuck Smith with the Calvary Chapel movement, you know, preaching through the Bible um, year after year. Many preachers do that. But then you've got a lot of churches that seem to just be wanting to just hear, you know, give me six steps on, on how to do this or how to do that. And when you don't preach the word, you can, you know, it, it's either been called, you know, in, in some circle sign, it's almost like you, you, you've just got like this, um, uh, this moralism, and it's almost like deism, you know, deism and moralism. But where's God? Where's the God of the Bible? Where's the plan of salvation? Um, where is heaven? Where is hell? Where is uh, the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross? We have to preach the fundamentals of the faith to give people something to hang on to when they go through the challenges and the tragedies of life. And the, uh, the Norman Vincent Peale approach, you know, somebody said this one time about, about his approach comparing him to the Apostle Paul. They said, Peale, Norman Vincent Peale, that is, Peale is appalling and Paul is appealing. And, and that was somebody who was wanting more from the word than just some self-help um, positive thinking kind of message, and boy, do the prosperity preachers um, ever miss the boat in not preaching the Bible uh, in their in their greed to always want to talk about money. Um, and you know, yes, they have their mansions and they have their their jets, and and they think they're an example of what their faith has brought them. When really, all they are is an example of what happens when you work people up into a, uh, a greedy lather um, to think that, boy, if I send in my $20, God's going to multiply it, and maybe I can have the material things that that, that, that preacher has. Boy, you know, uh, glory to God. Look at him. Hallelujah. He's got a jet. He's got a mansion. Uh, boy, God is blessing him. Well, um, when you're not preaching the word faithfully and you're just preaching these uh, get-rich-quick schemes and you're turning the Bible into a get-rich uh, manual, uh, when the Bible says just the opposite, you know, the Bible says people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And the key there, son, is people who want to get rich. I'm not saying there were people in the Old Testament like Abraham and others that God gave great wealth to, but these prosperity preachers, all they want to preach is the Old Covenant. They, they don't want to preach the New, they don't want to preach the, the Gospel. They don't want to preach the persecution that Christians suffer, uh, the martyrdom that Christians suffer. They, they want to grab something out of the Old Testament and, and, and put it out there today. And, and what it does is it appeals to man's flesh. It appeals to man's desire. Man, I'd love to, I'd love to be rich. And you're telling me if I give God this, he's going to give me 10 times as much? Well, I can't lose. You know, and, and then I can have what you have. And I'll tell you what, son, if these guys really had the faith they claim to have, then why don't they do what Jesus told that rich young ruler to do when he came to him in his self-righteousness and he thought he'd obeyed all the commandments and Jesus eventually told him, uh, well, hey, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then, and then come. 
and, 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 and then you'll be able to experience the kingdom of heaven. Why don't they go and do that? Why don't they have enough faith to give it away? Why is it only in their minds uh, enough faith to have millions of dollars, you know, a huge mansion, their own private jet? It doesn't, it just does not resonate with the Bible. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the message that Jesus or the apostles taught at all. And it's, it's just, uh, a very, very dangerous and tragic development. And I'll tell you, son, it has spread. I mean, in Africa, there are so many churches, for example, that have been duped by these um, prosperity preachers. And, and they fly on their jets over to Africa and they get people all worked up, uh, but they don't get them grounded in the, the doctrines of the New Testament. They don't get them grounded in the faith. You know, it, it feels like you're at like an Amway event or something, or, or, or you know, it's, it's like a like a pyramid scheme or something. And boy, they come in and listen to this guy and it's wow. I mean, I can be rich, and that's what they want. They 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 want to be rich. And meanwhile, son, the true riches are knowing Christ, walking with Christ, leading people to Christ, and having the riches of heaven of being with Jesus forever. But they don't see that. Because they love money. They love money. And that's why they always preach about money. That's why they're always telling you to send them their money. And, and because they love their mansions and their jets too much to preach the real gospel. Yeah, that's the one thing that I've always kind of been, I don't know, judgmental, I guess. Uh, judgmental against, I guess, is that, you know, we on earth, we're going to sin. You know, no one's perfect. And so, you know, when something happens and people sin, you know, it becomes scandalous in the church. But that's never really bothered me. What's bothered me is the false religion that people teach. And, you know, that really gets me going because I think it does a great disservice, obviously, for the church. But then it takes away from people's relationships with Jesus. I mean, there's people out there that don't know that, you know, like we're talking about, we can be real and take whatever it is that's bothering us whether it be our finances, whether it be, you know, a job situation, whether it be we need a job, um, whether it be that, you know, maybe we need a better car because ours is breaking down, uh, whatever it is, you know, we can go directly to God and, and these people out there are taking that away. They're taking that privilege of us going directly to God. And instead they mm -hmm. want us to put our faith in them and we give to them yeah. and therefore God's no, just go, if anyone, I would just say, if anybody tells you give to me and then God will do to you, no, just go straight to God. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He tore that, that veil in two, that, that dividing veil that opened up the Holy of Holies for everybody. And so, you know, just go directly to him specifically and don't worry about all this other stuff because you'll realize that all that is just the falsity of this earth and that only God can provide and only God will provide. And he has his plan laid out for you. So go to him because he's got the answers. Well, that's it. And I love your reference, Son, to how the veil there was torn in two in the temple. When Jesus died, um, that thick curtain, that thick veil was torn in two by God. There were no human hands touching it. It was torn in two. And, and so imagine, um, imagine the, the, the Jewish priest there in the temple that day um, and, and being in the temple. And, and having that veil torn in two, and that represented now we have access to God, which kind of brings us full circle to where we started today in terms of going to God directly, going to God all the time. We can now do that. You know, as you mentioned, Son, I, I, I preached the last couple of weeks on, uh, on uh, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And, and so you have to come into the, um, the tabernacle, you have to come into the, uh, the courtyard there, you have to bring your animal sacrifice there for the priest to slaughter on the altar there in the courtyard, and then you had the Holy of Holies um, there that was enclosed that, that uh, only the priest would go into, and then you had that back uh, room, the, the most holy place, where only the high priest would go in, and that only once a year, and never without blood. And, and so the high priest would go in and sprinkle then the blood, onto the mercy seat, onto the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. And that was pointing to what Jesus would do when he would come and die on the cross. And now, you know what it says in the Bible? It says that our hearts have been sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And, and so um, our hearts have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And that, my friend, can happen for you today, if you'll just call on the Lord, just say to Jesus, wash me, Jesus, 
in your precious blood. Will you do that right now? Just say, wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. If you'll pray that prayer in faith, as you repent, as you turn to God, as you call on the Lord, you can know then that heaven will be your home. And all of your religious deeds up until now have done nothing to save your soul. But, but if you've never trusted Christ alone for salvation and not your deeds, simply today, call on the Lord. If God has spoken to you today through this message that Simon and I are bringing here on this podcast, then just call on the Lord, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Repent and believe the good news. Just say, wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. And, and you'll be so glad that you did. And, and then walk with him and talk with him. Um, you know, there's that, that, that uh, famous hymn from years ago, um, Trust and Obey. You know, and it says, Trust and Obey, but there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So believe him as your Savior, and then obey him as your Lord. Live for him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Uh, now, we all fall short. But but because we do love him, we do seek to obey him. And it, it's going to be a beautiful journey, my friend. But it begins today when you just say, wash me, Jesus, in your precious blood. It's as simple as that. Dan Dozell, thank you so much. We appreciate it. You can find his writings at thechristianpost.com. There's a little magnifying uh, magnifying glass search thing. Just type in his name and all his articles pop up if you want to read more. And uh, Dan, we look forward to uh, many more of these as we go through the year 2022, God willing. And again, just thank you so much for your time and your insight. We really appreciate it. Well, I tell you, it's my pleasure, son. Thank you for your dynamic ministry and your dynamic podcast. And I'm just uh, thankful and thrilled to to partner with you in these uh, in these wonderful visits we have. And I look forward to our our next one next week. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.